Father, thank you so much for this morning and thank you for our families and for our friends and for brothers and sisters in Christ. We're grateful, we're grateful for this time of year when we're reminded of you sending your son and sending him for us so that we might be reconciled to you. And we're thankful that he's a sufficient, willing, and able, and successful Savior. Uh, We're grateful for the power of the Spirit to enliven us so that we might even know these things and comprehend them so that we might be granted faith and repentance. Encourage us today from your word and through the fellowship of your people. In Jesus' name, amen. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. I just started reading those words because I knew they were familiar words. Very familiar words to us, if we're Christians. But the situation for Mary, that woman, was anything but familiar. In in fact, I find them to be comforting words. But she was anything but comfortable. She's shocked. She's troubled. Remember, this Mary Magdalene was at the cross. She saw Jesus crucified before her very eyes. And now she goes to attend to his body. Now she goes during this phase of mourning to show respect and love to her teacher, to Jesus. And he is gone. The body is gone. And she, again, as I said, is shocked. John chapter 20, verse 1. If you haven't already turned to John chapter 20, verse 1, that will begin our text this morning. We're going to look at the first half of the 20th chapter of the gospel according to John. Mary arrives and it's dark. I don't want to read too much into this. But there's been a pattern in John's gospel account, a pattern where Jesus Jesus again and again and again associates darkness with sin and helplessness and light with salvation, the light that he brings. For example, just to cite one example, Jesus said in John 12, 46, I have come into the world as light so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. So when we come to verse 1, and it's she, uh, she's arriving at the tomb, and it's still dark, well, literally, that's true. Is it also designed on purpose to look like spiritually it's true? The people are still in darkness. I'm not sure. But it certainly appears to be that way if you're Mary Magdalene. She's there in the literal darkness. And she's there in the spiritual darkness from her perspective at that point in time. Let's read that verse again now that we've all found it. You got nervous when I just started reading and didn't tell you to turn there, didn't you? Some of you did. John 20, verse 1. Let's go ahead and see. Now on the first day of the week, Sunday... I can't help myself. Isn't it interesting that John ignores Passover? The great day, the awesome day, they were all preparing for it. And that's why we had to have Jesus disposed of quickly and underhandedly. Because it's Passover, don't you know? And here we go from crucifixion 
of the Passover lamb. Not that it's insignificant. It's significant. But John goes, crucifixion, first day of the week. Because Jesus changes everything. Okay, I promise I'll read further this time. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the tomb, that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. Imagine if you're Mary Magdalene and you go and you have to stoop down. Well, wait a minute. You, you don't stoop down. It's already open, so you can stoop down to look in the little hole in the cave. Shocked, troubled, as we will see. Verse 2, so she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, John, our author, and said to them, they've taken, taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. Let me ask you, what, what clues us in that Mary Magdalene is not believing in the resurrection at this point in time? What she says, right? They've taken him. Her first inclination, her first conclusion is, is not, Hallelujah, what a Savior! He's been raised, right? She doesn't show up saying that. She doesn't say, Jesus has been raised, and they don't respond and say, raised indeed, right? That's not happening. Her, her instant reaction, and maybe it's because she was there, chapter 19. She saw Him crucified. She saw the sword in His side. She saw the blood and water. She knew that she knew that she knew that she knew that He was dead. As dead as dead can be. And so her conclusion, when she sees stone rolled away, no body. Who's taken Jesus' body? This is terrible. Verse 3. So, so Peter went out with the other disciple. And they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together. But the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, because that's what you would do if the hole were about three, three feet high or no more. Stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there. Back in chapter 19, verse 40, Jesus is wrapped with these same linen cloths for burial. And then it says, but he did not go in. Verse 6. Then Simon Peter, uh, then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. Right? They're, they're going to get a better look. He saw the linen cloths lying there and a face cloth which had been on Jesus' head not lying with the linen cloths but folded up in a place by itself. Strange, right? It's awkward. Something's going on that's not quite right. Grave robbers came and t stole the body of Jesus. But if grave, rob grave robbers, I can't talk, came and took the body of Jesus, we don't know for sure if the linen cloths were valuable or not. Many think they were. So if they were, why didn't they take those? And if they're gra grave robbers, 
Why would they even take the time, by the way, to unwrap Jesus? It poses all these questions. I don't know the answers to. They unwrap Jesus and then, oh, let's make sure we tidy up after ourselves before we go. Right? It, doesn't, it, it, it does not compute, does not compute, does not compute. It doesn't make sense. It's awkward. It's strange. Verse 8 says, Then the other disciple, that would be John, again, he doesn't name himself, who, who had reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the Scripture that he must rise from the dead. Which one do you want to talk about first? The fact that he believed, or they, they didn't understand the Scriptures that he must be raised? I can go either way. Okay, the, the Bible taught that he had to be raised. Let's go there first. And they, they weren't really putting the pieces together. Never mind the fact that Jesus has been talking this way throughout the gospel according to John. We know he has because we've been working our way through it. But they, they, he, he wasn't putting pieces together and two and two together. And now finally he goes and he looks and sees. He believes and puts the pieces together. Oh yeah, Old Testament. He's got to be raised. We don't know which text he has in mind. Isaiah 53, perhaps. Hosea chapter 6, perhaps. Psalm 16, perhaps. Perhaps, perhaps, perhaps. Isaiah 53 would be a good one to go to because it's so messianic. And not only do you, it's Isaiah 52, 53, 54, and, and it's such a highlight when it comes to this reality. I'll just read Isaiah 53 verse 10. And verse 11 and 12. You can just listen if you'd like to. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. Think cross. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, because that's what he did, atonement, uh, offering, uh, he shall see his offspring, those he represents. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. So this is according to purpose, according to will. Verse 11, out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, that would be Jesus, make many, here's my favorite part, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. We're not the resurrection yet. Twelve, therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong. See, there's benefits, not just to him, but to those he represents. Because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors, yet he bore the sin of many, aha, here we go, and makes intercession for the transgressors. You don't make intercession for the transgressors if you are a dead Savior. And you don't bring righteousness to be credited to those you represent if you yourself are not righteous. And resurrection proves he's righteous. Maybe it was another text that they had in mind, but regardless, Jesus is raised from the dead according to plan, according to purpose, divine purpose. This is fulfillment. This is what the world has been waiting for. Now back to that believing thing. I'm making it sound trite. It's not at all. Verse 8, again, the other disciple, John, who had reached the tomb first, also went in and he saw and believed. 
Now, he's going to see the bodily resurrected Christ, but for now, he sees that the grave clothes are there and they're arranged tidily and he puts pieces together. He's been raised from the dead! But notice, he saw and believed, which is significant because in John's gospel account, it's been all about believing for what? Eternal life. I say it all the time. Believing for eternal life. Trusting in, depending upon Jesus for everlasting life, for life. Jesus came to give life, but you've got to trust in him for the life. And here is John. Not that he was an atheist before, right? But the pieces are coming together. He believed when he sees or when he saw. Here's a question for you. And you know how my questions are? Kind of tricky sometimes. Trying to catch you up. Is seeing believing? There's a saying that says, seeing is believing. In Christianity, is seeing believing? It's kind of a trick question, isn't it? I wanted to, I even thought about entitling the sermon today, Seeing is Believing. Because seeing is believing. The answer to the question, is seeing believing, when it comes to Christianity, is no and yes. Right? It's a trick question. For example, like in Hebrews chapter 11, it talks about, about faith, which is the same word for belief, re- regarding what we don't see. We just take God at His word. And Jesus is going to talk later, even in John's Gospel account, about blessed is he who believes and doesn't see. So that's true. But there's another sense in which seeing is believing. And here's why I want to say that. Number one, because it says, he saw and believed. He saw and believed. And I have emphasized this and re-emphasize this. And I'm going to re-re-emphasize it today. Seeing is believing. And how about this? Let me push it. If there is no seeing, there ought not be any believing. Here's what I mean. Eyewitness accounts. Jesus really was crucified. Jesus really and truly was crucified bodily. And then Jesus, and we're going to see him, not just the grave clothes, seeing him bodily raised from the dead because he claimed to be the one who would be raised from the dead. Christianity is based upon the fact that Jesus was a real person, that he really died, and that he really was raised from the dead. And apart from people having seen him, it's all a bunch of garbage. He's really got to be raised from the dead. I've never seen Jesus. You've never seen Jesus. But apart from their seeing him and believing, apart from someone, not to mention countless people that we have again and again and again, seeing him raised from the dead, we ought not be believing. The Apostle Paul says, if Christ hasn't been raised from the dead, then we're the biggest idiots on the planet. That's like the Pat Revised Standard Version. 1 Corinthians 15. See, sometimes, and I, I, I have to, I, I'll keep doing this till my dying day, because sometimes what happens is people think they need to help Christianity. 
And you know, well, maybe it really isn't actually, actually, literally true, but you know, there's a lot of good in Christianity, and there's a lot of good moral principles, and you know, it, it can lead to people's lives being changed. And I just want to remember, remind you, we're talking about something historic. I talked about this last week as well, probably next week too. Seeing, having seen, he believed. It wasn't having felt that this is how he would like it to be. Reality. Jesus was crucified. Jesus was raised from the dead. Believe on the Lord Jesus and you too will be raised from the dead. He saw and believed. Not a blind leap of faith as it has been called. He saw and believed. I like what Jay Gresham Machen said about this very phenomena. From the beginning, the Christian gospel, as indeed the name gospel or good news implies, consisted in an account of something that happened. But if it didn't happen, it's better than atheism. It's not what the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15. The bodily resurrection of Jesus is of utmost central significance to Christianity. To reality, I would say. We have to remember that. And... I wasn't planning to say this, but since I say it every other time, I'll say it again. One important reason why that must be true, not just so we can win an argument or something like that. We need Jesus to really be raised from the dead because you are really going to die. You're not just going to pass away. You're really going to die. And you really need to be raised. And we're going to get to that. There's good news because he did what he did for us. Well, we should keep moving. Let's go on to, uh, to verse 10, if you would. Then the disciples went back to their homes. Maybe seems like a weird thing to do, huh? I would have gone to the mall. <laughs> Not to shop. I don't know this for sure. Most people think they went back to where they were lodging. Especially if you think of John, who Jesus just entrusted his mother to. And that she then lived with John for the rest of her days. As if he were her son. It seems like now John is making a beeline back home to tell Jesus' mother what's true. How about verse 11? Let's keep going. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. So they've, they've 
not crossed paths apparently. So she is there, but she's weeping outside of the tomb. And again, I, I just want to remind you, chapter 19, she was there, she saw him crucified. And now he's gone. So she's weeping because his body is gone and she saw him crucified. And so, and it's still morning time, not as in a.m., but as in weeping morning. So she's weeping over the issue that it's, it's actually time to be doing that. But also, what kind of disrespect have you shown? Grave robbers of all people, grave robbers of Jesus, the ones she spent so much time with and the ones she loved. So she's weeping. This is a tragedy. This is terrible. This is horrific. Bad enough that they crucified him. And now the utter and total disrespect for his remains. And as she wept, she stopped to look into the tomb. Excuse me. She stooped to look into the tomb. Verse 12. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had laid. One at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, Woman, Why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Fourteen. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, comma. I can't help myself, but just remind you, she saw, I know she doesn't know who it is yet and all that kind of stuff, She saw Jesus, what? Standing. She saw Jesus hanging, crucified. And now she sees Jesus standing. It's really, really quite amazing. She saw Jesus standing I think that would I want to do a whole sermon sometime just on those two words right Jesus standing the crucified Jesus standing but she did not know that it was Jesus Jesus said to her woman why are you weeping whom are you seeking Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. If it wasn't a robbery kind of thing, and it was just an inappropriate business deal, and it was the gardener, could could you just help me? I'll I'll make sure it's of no more trouble to you. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, heightened for affection, heightened for closeness, Rabboni, which means teacher. I don't know how to dramatize this. But I don't think I have to. Just think about it. And she she hears his voice and now she recognizes his voice and she hears her name like, like she'd never hear her name before from the standing Jesus. 
And for her it's all. Seventeen says, Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Probably wrong to take it in like this, you know, kind of harsh, cold, callous way. We don't know all that went on, right? You know, she, it's not like she goes, Jesus, get away from me, you know? It's not that. But imagine Mary having loved Jesus, having watched him be crucified, breathe his last breath, and now he's standing and he's talking and and, and he calls out to her, and now what? It's to the point where Jesus says, "You've, you've got to let me go. I mean, no disrespect whatsoever, but she, she's, she's let him go once before and it ended terribly. And probably for her now, she's not going to let him out of her sight, not to mention out of her grasp. It's Jesus, the standing living Jesus. And did this last for two seconds or 20 seconds or whatever it might be? Jesus says, this is not the end game. you are going to have to let me go again. Literally, now. (laughs) But in another sense, literally later. The ascension has to happen. I'm going to ascend to my Father. I've not yet ascended. That's a vital part of the plan. This is not the end game. If you're her, you probably want it to be the end game if you don't know better. We could change the world, right? Well, they will, but not the way she's thinking. Can you imagine what we could do? Well, that'll happen, but not the way she's thinking. There has to be an ascension for multiple reasons. To ascend, to go back to heaven from where he came Then verse 17 goes on to say, But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending, I am going up from earth to heaven. I am ascending to my Father and your Father and to my God and your God. And that that is absolutely astonishing. And it's astonishingly, astonishingly good to hear if you think about the theological implications, the spiritual implications. What, what is this about? I must ascend. And where am I ascending? I must ascend. Tell them I'm ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. What I'm doing and what I've done, I've done for you. To to make Him your Father. You were a child of wrath, a child of darkness, and now my God is your God and my Father is your Father. There's been reconciliation. There's been redemption. There's been resurrection. There's been justification. This is all for you and I've got to go. But my work's been accomplished. Now I'm going back. It's, it, it, he's not using the word gospel, but this is gospel news. Work is done. Maybe, maybe this would help. If you, we're going to look at 17 again, but I want you to, to read, read 17 in light of 14. 
So if you would, just turn to chapter 14. And I know it's hard to remember all this stuff when we're, we're working through like chapter by chapter, not even the chapter a week. But if you go to 14, 3, and then we go right into uh, 2017. And, and you connect the dots and put the pieces together. You, it makes you want to go, yes! So 14.3, Jesus says, And if I go, I wrote in the spaces, Ascension. And if I go, Ascension, and prepare a place for you, He's talking about believers, and the place where He goes, according to John 14.6, is to be with the Father. Okay? I will come again, and will take you to Myself, that where I am... With the Father, 14.6, you may be also in my Father's house. There are many dwelling places, right? The ultimate temple, the ultimate place where God resides in my Father's house. So keep that in mind. I'm going to go, I'm going to ascend, and I'm going to ascend to be with the Father. And he's preparing a place for you to be with the Father. Then you read 17, uh, chapter 20, verse 17. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending. I am going to do what I said I was going to do in chapter 14. I'm ascending to that place. And my ascending is to do what I'm doing there for you. I'm ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. See, it's a place for you in my Father's house. I realize that might be, you know, old news to you and you're, to you and you're thinking, yeah, I saw that. Well, I'm just not that bright. I don't see things all the time. And I go, yeah! That's what he's going to do. That's what ascension, that's what happens in the ascension. So in that sense, they, they, they need to want to let him go, even though they don't want to let him go. You gotta let me go because I'm doing this for you. It's like the final thing to do. Jesus is leaving, but he's leaving for them. There's more to come. How about verse 18? Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord and that he had said these things to her. She announces, I've seen the Lord. And I'm going to remind you, in the appropriate way, that seeing is believing. She's seen him. Not everyone who sees him will believe. But in order to believe in Jesus, you must see Him, either yourself as she did and these disciples, or through their eyewitness testimony that we have recorded. In closing, I want to look at 1 Corinthians 15 ever so briefly because it helps us to, to know some of the, the significance for us behind this. I think we've seen some of the significance, but really puts a point on it. 
as you're turning to 1 Corinthians 15, if you are, what makes your faith, if you're believing in Christ, credible is the fact that Mary Magdalene, Magdalene saw him. And John saw him. And Peter saw him. And the others are going to see him. And even doubting, skeptical, I question everything, I'm an uber-rationalist, Thomas sees him. And then we have countless others seeing him as the historic Jesus, the real one. And they see him and they believe for eternal life. Many will see him and they won't believe. Don't confuse me with the facts. I know what I believe. Duh. But in order for you to have eternal life, you must believe in Jesus. You must trust in him. He was raised from the dead and lots of people didn't gain eternal life because they didn't trust in Him. But notice what Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 15. Let's go to verse 20. I'm tempted to read the whole thing, but you know how that goes. Verse 20 says, But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits. See, that's why it's good news to us. The first fruits, that's just the beginning. It might be the best, but it's just the beginning. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep, using that euphemism, using the positive way of saying, died. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. See, now we're back to federal headship, representative headship, like a federal government, representation. We have, through a man, he's going to name him, Adam, came death, because we're all united to Adam. And then he's going to go on to explain union, or being united to Jesus, representatively, and we have life if we believe in him. Everyone's in Adam, believers are in Christ. And that means resurrection life for us. It means He was just the first fruits. Verse 22 says, For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. By the way, the next verse talks about the all there are those who belong to Christ. It's those who belong to Him by faith. John's giving us history uh, with, with some interpretation too. We can't, you can't get around it. I'm thankful for it. The Apostle Paul's giving us interpretation, further interpretation, if you will, further elaboration. It's all about the two Adams. It's why you need to believe in Jesus for resurrection and for new life because right now you're united to the first Adam and that means death for you. Good news is Jesus lived, died, and rose again for all He would represent. Believe in Him as your representative, as your Savior. And know for certain that there's life in Him because He was raised from the dead and we're going to see ascended. We need to pray and wrap things up. Father, thank You for this morning. Thank You for Jesus. Thank You that He is our great representative. Thank You that He is the, the, the true and 
faithful and final representative for us. And we are thankful for the encouragement that comes from salvation in Christ. We're thankful for assurance of salvation that no religion on the planet can offer other than biblical Christianity because we're not trusting in ourselves. We're trusting in Him. We are thankful for those who've gone before us that saw the risen Christ with their very eyes. And we're thankful that we have credible testimony and we're thankful that we can trust in Him as well. We're thankful, even as we will read in the weeks ahead, that Jesus commends uh, the belief of those who have not themselves seen because they've heard from your word the credible testimony. Encourage us as we go. In Jesus' name, amen.